than Pharaoh was going to be behind them. But mm -hmm. God said to Moses, tell the people to turn around mm -hmm. and go back towards danger. And this, this is strange. This is strange. Surprising instructions. Israel had already reached the edge of the desert, y'all. And the people were ready to begin their march to Horeb or Mount Sinai where they were to worship God. And then they were to march on towards the promised land of Canaan. But here God was instructing them to turn back and camp at the edge of the sea. Lord have mercy. Why? <laughs> Why? I know some of y'all are like, why in the world? Why would God want Israel to backtrack and camp by the sea? But check this out. God had three major purposes for leading Israel by the sea. And we see these purposes in Exodus 14, Three through four. First of all, God wanted Pharaoh to think Israel was trapped mm -hmm. between the sea and the desert. Okay. God had a plan. Mm -hmm. all right. God had a plan. God had a purpose in mind. Mm -hmm. Check this out. Very simply, and this is where this is how how God will use the enemy's anger against him. Very simply, <coughs> Pharaoh would hear that Israel was camped by the sea and he would immediately know that he could trap them right there. They would be in a defenseless and a helpless position. He could recapture them and bring them back to Egypt so that he could use them for his purposes. What do you mean? What do you mean? Watch this now. See, a lot of times we don't read in between the lines. We don't see what's happening here in the Word of God. All we see is that Pharaoh is upset. But why would he want to bring them back? The loss of free labor and wealth suffered by freeing two million plus of the Israelite people. And this loss was bound to blow, be a huge blow to the economy of Egypt. And Pharaoh and his people had no doubt been facing a crisis after the crisis, check this out, since the Israelites had fled the country. So when Pharaoh's spies brought word back to him that the Israelites were camped by the sea, he and his officials knew that they could easily recapture them. God knows what he's doing, y'all. I'm telling y'all now. I'm telling y'all somebody, somebody need to understand this. God knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pharaoh and his people knew that they could regain the free labor and the enormous wealth the Israelites had taken with them as they free, fleed Egypt. What was God's other purpose? God was going to gain glory through Pharaoh and his army. God was going to gain glory over the evil empire of ancient Egypt and gain glory over the false gods of the Egyptians. God was going to execute judgment upon Pharaoh and his military. They were going to be destroyed, watch this, because of their hard hearts. 
because of their terrible evil, because of their idolatry, because of their enslaving and brutalizing of people, especially the people of God. God was about to get the glory. And then God wanted the Egyptians to know he is the Lord. Yeah. He is the only true savior and deliverer of man. The only living and true God. Pharaoh may have been thinking in his mind, hey, I set them free so I'm their deliverer so I can grab them again and hold them captive. Yes, yes, yes. God wanted them to know the gods of Egypt were false. God wanted the Egyptians to know that they were worshiping and following false gods. No man-made God would be able to deliver Pharaoh and his army. No God of man's imagination was going to deliver, be able to stop the Lord from judging the Egyptians. The Egyptians were to know beyond any question there is only one living, one true God, the Lord himself, Jehovah Yahweh. One God. One God. So by executing judgment upon Pharaoh and his army, God was giving the surviving Egyptians an opportunity to repent, to turn away from their evil, to turn away from their idolatrous ways, and to turn to the Lord himself. Watch this, watch this. Even in judgment, God was trying to show mercy upon the Egyptian people. Listen, people of God, I submit to you today that God has a plan yes. and a purpose for our lives. Amen. What may look like is not good. God is working out for us. The plan that God has, it may not look like a good plan. But I want to let you know today that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Somebody need to give God some glory. It, it, it may not feel like it with what you're going through. There may be mountains on both sides of you. There may be waters in front of you. And the enemy may be tracking you down. But God has a plan and a purpose for whatever takes place in your life. Yeah. You may not understand it. You may not have a full understanding of it. You may be wringing your hands and tears, may be running down your eyes with confusion, but I want you to let you know today God has a plan mm. and a purpose yes. for your life. Yes. It may seem crazy and outlandish, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It certainly may not be what you had in mind to do. You can be on the edge of getting out your situation. You could be on the edge of your celebration. You could be on the edge of your victory and all of a sudden God will say, I need you to backtrack a little bit because there's something else I want to use your life for. There's something else I want to get glory of out of your life. It, it may certainly not be what you wanted to do, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for whatever takes place in your life. Yes. Where he leads you. Mm. Wherever he takes you. I need you to know today that he has a plan and a purpose 
for your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. For I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil to give you hope. Watch this. In your final yeah. outcome. Yeah. God has a plan. And a purpose for your life. Psalm uh, 32 and verse number 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God has a plan. And a purpose for your life. Psalm 37 verses 23 through 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way. Though he fall. He shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. God has a plan. God has a purpose. For your life. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 16 through 19. Thus saith the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariots and horses, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Remember not the former days nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. thing. (laughs) Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, somebody need to say that, all things, all things work together for good for those, for good, you know, of those who have loved, who love him, who have been the called, According to his purpose. Listen, listen. I submit to you today. I want you to lift your hearts. I want you to lift your mind. Lift your countenance. Look to the hills from whence coming to your health. You may think that you know what's best for your life. However, God knows you better than you know yourself. And whatever he's taking you through. You can rest assured that you're going to come out on the other side victorious. He may tell you to turn around and it may look like you're not going to win. But if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Yes, 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 yes. So, so God's purpose for Israel was that, that they in their dilemma was going To bring him glory. What looked like sure destruction. God was going to bring them out for his glory. And this brings me to the second scene. What time is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get through a little bit of this. This brings me to the second scene. And this, this is quite dramatic. This is quite dramatic, y'all. I want y'all, want y'all to catch this. I want you to note, I want you to notice the fast-moving drama of Scripture. It is described, you know, kind of rapidly here. Fast-moving drama. God, God tells them to turn back and sit by the Red Sea with mountains on both sides, river in front of them, you know, and, and Pharaoh behind them. And Pharaoh and, and his officials, they change their minds about freeing God's people. In Exodus chapter 14, verse number 15. And then remember what I said. The economy of Egypt 
have been catastrophically devastated by the plagues. God had launched the plagues to execute judgment and justice upon Pharaoh and his people. Amen. The Egyptians, watch this, they needed to rebuild their nation. Every industry had obviously been infected or affected by those plagues. The farming, the construction, the mining, the metal, the food, and the service industry. But Pharaoh and his officials not only had to deal with the devastated economy, watch this, they had to deal with the loss of their, of their labor force and with the loss of economic wealth. See, y'all need to understand, there's some things happening in the background. And nobody knows like God knows. Mm. Remember, watch this now. Remember, I, I'm going to throw out some numbers to you. These numbers are big. Remember, there were over 600,000 Israelite men alone. And most of them would have large families. Just imagine the impact of losing more than 2 million laborers, all cheap, all free laborers, because they held them as slaves, they held them as captive. Moreover, there was gold and silver and other gifts given by the Egyptians to each Israelite family just to get rid of them after those plagues that came. They were like, here, y'all, take this stuff, go on about your business. Because they didn't want the plagues to fall on them. So the combined wealth would have um, amounted to millions of dollars. Just a small amount of gold and silver and other valuables worth, say, $100 given to each family would have amounted to $60 million. Whatever the wealth that was given, it was enormous. The reality of the lost wealth, Pharaoh was getting upset. His officials were getting upset. We're losing everything here. And we let them go? The loss of that free labor, you know, it was, it was going to be a, a, a profound impact on Israel, Israel or the Egyptians building their economy. The Egyptians could rebuild the nation a whole lot quicker if they just recaptured those Israelites, put them back in slavery, and confiscated their enormous wealth. And they, they no doubt have been sitting in their little chambers and discussing this and talking about this in their cabinet meetings as they meant to handle the devastating economy of the nation. Thus, when they heard that the Israelites were camped between a rock and a hard place, it is easy to imagine the rage and the indignation of Pharaoh and his, his officials. The thoughts of revenge that was stirred up within their minds. The proud heart that thrust itself against God and his people. The roar of the lion who is Satan himself that was set to devour God's people. Listen, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. When the enemy gets mad at you, come on, y'all. When the enemy gets upset with you, his blood boils. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your ministry. He wants to destroy your life. Anything you hold dear, he wants to get rid of it. He wants to tear it down. And what was God's reaction against their plan to launch a savage attack? God hardened their hearts. 
I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this term. He hardened their hearts. God didn't put, watch this now. God did not put the hatred of Pharaoh and the Egyptians in the hearts of those people. That is something that the enemy stirred up in their hearts. God didn't make them mad with his people just so he could, so that they could change. See, we got it all wrong. When we hear that God hardened their hearts, we were thinking that God, you know, put hatred in their hearts for the children of Israel. God set that on them so they know God, that was already there. What God did, he gave them up to the passion of their hard hearts. Mm -hmm. He allowed their hearts to become harder and harder in their evil passion. And note what happened. Pharaoh mobilized his massive army. What you mean massive army? I'm setting up the picture here. Once you all understand this, Pharaoh mobilized 600 of his best chariots, as well as many of the other chariots of Egypt. By best chariots, it's meant that 600 of the most advanced war machines of that day, Pharaoh placed officers over the chariots. A certain number of chariots must have been assigned to a large number of foot soldiers. Just imagine for one moment, 600 of the latest chariots to be built for warfare and hundreds of other chariots mobilized for battle. The number of foot soldiers no doubt numbered in the tens of thousands, but this was not all. Pharaoh mobilized horsemen and troops that supported them and as stated, the army was of enormous size. The, ma the, the majority or the major military campaign began to be planned and launched against God's people, a campaign to capture and bring them them back to Egypt. Don't you know that the enemy does not like you? Then hmm. the armed men, you know, the army begin to march. Here they go. Pharaoh pursued. The Israelites overtook them. They were right there and camped by the sea. And I submit to you today as I get ready to close out for this week, I submit to you today that the enemy does not like it when you name the name of the Lord. He does not like it when you commit to serve the Lord. He does not like it when you turn from him to follow the Lord. You may have been one of his best workers. Come on now. Now you're gone. You, you, you used to recruit for him. You used to bring others over to his army, but now you're gone. You used to be one who didn't worry about what God said. You didn't care about what God said, but God freed you from the captivity of the enemy, and now you're gone. You used to be one that wouldn't pray, wouldn't read your word, wouldn't talk to God, but now since you have said, for God, I'll live, and for God, I'll die, the, you know, the, the enemy had you, but now... You're gone. And when he realized what he is losing, yeah, yeah. he will relentlessly, mm. I want you all to hear this, he will relentlessly pursue you. He will come after you with all that he has. Mm -hmm. He will unleash pure 
hellfire your way. Listen, the world and its rulers, the governments and the people are fickle. They move from policy to policy, turning and changing from what they often promise. And this is especially true in dealing with us as people of God. For a while, the world may grant peace to God's people, allowing us, you know, the freedom of speech and worship. But the world can change its mind overnight and turn away from the right worship of God. The world can attempt to deny us the right to teach and bear testimony for the only living and true God. As I close today, I want you to understand this. As true believers, we must always be prepared for the turning away of the world for the persecution of the world. So you and I must always be on guard lest we begin to turn on the very ones whom God has sent our way to bring us deliverance. And this is what we're going to see as we go forward in this. So the message for today is no matter what you're going through, God has a purpose and plan for your life. And when his purpose and plan is put into effect, the enemy going to get upset and he going to come and try to get you back. But be not dismayed. Whatever be times, God will take care of you. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the outset of this journey. Our red sea, our wilderness, and then our victory. 